0: Welcome to Pick Action Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday night, as I am. I just got done making flatbread pizzas, drinking a couple glasses of wine. I'm not even a wine drinker, but I uh, I got some rosé from my uh, from my roommate. She's trying to get me to start drinking wine. I've never liked wine before. Uh, but I'm doing my best. I'm, I'm kind of weaning my way onto it, starting with the soft stuff, and then I'll, I'll get there eventually. It's fine. Uh, this podcast is going to be about the Nuggets at the quarter mark of the season. Uh, they just finished their 20th game. They are now 10-10, and 10, very emblematic of where they are at. And I think this is a good time to kind of step back, look at the big picture a little bit. Uh, talk about what excites me about this team, talk about what's uh, what kind of worries me about this team for sure. Because there are things, and I think Michael Porter being out is of course one of them, that you have to be concerned about what the ultimate goals were at the beginning and what the goals should be now. Uh, I don't think that those have changed drastically because you still expect Jamal Murray back at some point. But for now, I think it's important to Uh, Just look at everything. Look at at what the team is doing on offense. Look at what they're doing on defense. See where they are at and just kind of talk about where this team can go from here. So let's first talk about Nikola Jokic, the best player in basketball. I don't think it's very close at the particular moment. I think that You still get some of these off games from Steph Curry like he had tonight, shot four of 21 when matched up against an elite team that could really focus on him. Uh, Kevin Durant is still very, very good, but I think that he has less of an impact on all facets facets of the game than I think people really fully appreciate. Nikola Jokic is underrated in that regard at least for a lot of teams, where it just fully stands out that they are always a better team, a better ball club when he is playing the sport. And you have to always factor that in when you're talking about the Nuggets and when he's on the court versus when he's off the court. The stats are ridiculous where he's roughly about plus 140 when he's on the court and then the Nuggets are minus 130 when he's off. And they've had about equal time because of the games that he's missed. And this was the first time that he's missed a significant chunk in a while. But you start to realize and you really start to appreciate just how good of a basketball player he is and what his impact on the team is. I still think that if I were given a vote today, that Stephen Curry would be my choice for most valuable player. And it's because he is the main focal point of the Golden State Warriors, and they are dominant. They're absolutely great. Now, could that be Nikola Jokic? Of course. I think Jokic would be second on my ballot, perhaps third behind Kevin Durant. But I do think that Jokic is the best player in basketball. Those are two different conversations, though. And it's one where I think you can really fully appreciate the nuances where Jokic has grown but the team around him has kind of deteriorated in some ways from where they were last year. P.J. Dozier was worse and then got hurt. Michael Porter was worse and then got hurt. Jamal Murray hasn't been here. Uh, Aaron Gordon has improved. That That has really, really turned things around, and I think that's one of the reasons why we are seeing the best version of Jokic, because Aaron Gordon has been a pillar of what this Nuggets team has been able to do on both ends of the floor. He takes on the toughest assignment almost every single night. And it was really interesting against Miami last night, where he's going up against Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo. Whatever the team needs, he steps up and fills in the gap. And it was one of those things where you you didn't necessarily fully appreciate it last year. I think the Nuggets didn't want to overload him last year. And that's one of the reasons why they didn't use him in that regard for much of the season. They still had Murray and Barton and guys like that taking on the tougher guard assignments. And that was okay. There wasn't anything wrong with it. But now that you have Gordon, and now that he's fully acclimated, and you know that he's not going to be the first or second option on the offensive end, you can take advantage of that defensive skill level. And him stepping up as a defensive player, becoming, I think, a a legitimate all-defensive team candidate, has really helped this team grow. Now, some of the defensive numbers are skewed, to be clear. Uh, But Denver, they have really dropped off from an effective field goal percentage standpoint. That's something that I think I would be pretty worried about if I were this team. But they are great at limiting opposing teams' free throws. They don't foul. Gordon is a big reason for that. They also turn opposing teams over pretty well. They rank 13th in turnover percentage. But then one of the big kickers here is that they don't allow opposing teams to get offensive rebounds, and they're fifth in the entire NBA in defensive rebounding rates, and that's without Jokic sometimes. I think that stands out. And Gordon is a big reason for that, because when you force those misses, his, pl- his team, or his, his, uh, his assignment, excuse me, isn't the one going to get the ball because he's smothering them. He's doing a great job of making sure he's in their airspace, and if the ball comes to him, then so be it. But he's averaging a lot of boards. Will Barton's averaging boards, although I think he's probably averaging too many. And by that, I mean he probably should be boxing out a little bit better not walking right under the rim to grab the rebound. But I do think that that is one of the reasons why where you see Aaron Gordon stepping up, so he's filled in the gaps as a rebounder, he's filled in the gaps as a defender, filled in the gaps as an offensive player, doing a little bit of everything. And Denver's defense has certainly benefited. And the, the entire Nuggets team has benefited from this case. And I, I wish we had a larger sample size of everybody being healthy because. I do think we would see a tangibly different team where Monte Morris gets to lead the bench unit and Jeff Green gets to show off as a versatile bench player as opposed to the starter that needs to fill in. But I think it's important to talk about Jeff Green. He has replicated a lot of Michael Porter Jr.'s skills over the course of these last 10 plus games. Porter going out. It was a tough blow. It was really, really scary for this Nuggets team. You didn't know what was going to happen. And then Jeff Green gets the first assignment, and I was pretty confused about it. I, I thought that they would go with BJ Dozier. I thought they would go a little bit smaller, try to keep the bench a little bit bigger. And I think that decision had some ramifications, but one of those was that Denver's offense stayed really efficient. And it wasn't because. Of Aaron Gordon, or of Jeff Green specifically, but it's because of the the style that he plays and how it blends with Jokic. Jeff Green was having a really bad start to the year. Shooting wasn't good, the movement wasn't good, the defense wasn't good. And then he moved into the starting lineup, playing more minutes, getting into a better rhythm, playing next to Nicole Jokic. I think you start to see the reasons why. He's been around so many of these star players, LeBron James back in 2018, James Harden in 2019 and 20, Kevin Durant last year. He's been around a lot of these guys and brought out some of the best traits in those teams by complimenting those offensive players. And he just steps up and does what the team needs to do without having to do too much. It's just filling in the gaps where the team needs Other than that, you're just filling in sets, setting screens, rotating on defense, grabbing rebounds when they come to you. And that's one pet peeve I have about him. So he doesn't necessarily grab a bunch of rebounds, not really going out of his way to do that. He might be better in the playoffs in a situation like that where you need to get a rebound, you need to be focused up on it. Right now, he's more just boxing out, doing what he can to let other people get rebounds, but... Sometimes I wish he would attack the glass more, uh, but he has filled in well. At 6'8", shooting the ball a lot better, doing everything that he needs to do from a skill standpoint, that has helped this starting lineup not miss a beat, when Jokic is out there at least. They were really good when Jokic was on the floor, and then when he was not on the floor, they went 0-4, and I think that really stands out, of course, and it points to Jokic, again, being the best player in the world, but he has really, Jeff Green specifically, has really shown that despite the fact that Porter is a star in my opinion, despite the fact that he has proven in this past season and the year before that he deserves respect for what he's able to do, sometimes not taking the tough shots And instead just focusing on the easy ones like what Jeff Green does. And then being a post guy, being a rebound guy at times, being a cutter, being a screener. That can do just as well for an offense where Jokic is willing to take a bunch of shots. And he has been. And Barton's willing to take them. And Gordon's willing to take them. And Morris is willing to take them. If you told me that... Jeff Green, among non-Jokic starters, led the team in shots on one night and then had zero on the next night, it doesn't surprise me because the rest of that starting group outside of Nikola, they just kind of fluctuate a little bit. It doesn't necessarily matter who's the one taking the shot. They're just trying to generate a good shot. Sometimes they'll come to Jeff Green. Sometimes they'll go to Aaron Gordon. A lot of times they'll go to Will Barton and Monte Morris, and that's where I think Denver continues to focus and should focus to keep those guys engaged. But it is going to be interesting to see whether Jeff Green can keep this up, whether this is just a early season kind of thing, or if it's something he can keep up for the rest of the year. Because if he does, and Denver can consistently go to the Jeff Green, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic lineup, they're going to be okay. They really will be. You can you can shuttle in a lot of different people into that space and feel pretty good. So, we'll see if they do that. 3 bench points now. Three things I'm excited about Faku Camposo starting to really figure some things out. Uh, Faku's numbers over the course of these last few games have been really impressive. Been really uh really happy to see what he's been able to do as a shooter. As a passer, and just as somebody who stays more involved and understands what he has to contribute in these situations, it hasn't been perfect, but it has been better. And Nuggets fans, I hope they take solace in that. I hope they appreciate that about Faku, that it's not always going to be elite, but he doesn't have to be. He wasn't brought over to be an elite player, he's just going to have to fill in the gaps. And he's going to do that as the sixth man, because just looking at the the minutes trends over the course of these past few games, he's the guy that Michael Malone goes to. And especially because he's shooting the ball pretty well lately, uh, he's going to be given that credit for sure. Shooting 51.7% from two-point range. That's pretty good. Last year, he shot 44.4. Sample size is still too small to really figure that out. Uh, but I do think that he has more to his three-point game that he can continue unlocking, Uh, has to continue driving the lane, has to continue putting pressure on the opposing team with the ball in his hands, uh, and also has to kind of cut down on the turnovers a little bit because they're up from last year, just proportionally. And those possessions are so important for this Nuggets team because they're fewer and further between. Uh, and, and the floor on those those bench possessions are not that great. So he has to be a leader. He has to be in control and not waste possessions. Bones Highland also figuring some stuff out. I love what I saw from Bones on this past game. Getting up a bunch of deep threes, filling in while combating his zone very confident shooter, knew that he was going to get those shots, and then took advantage of those shots when he got them. He may not get those shots all the time, and sometimes if the opposing team is playing man defense as opposed to zone, he's going to be best as a pick and roll handler or a uh, like kind of off the dribble isolation specialist. And sometimes that's going to be what he has to do, but he's shown the capability of doing it. And because of that, I, I feel pretty good about his spot in the rotation. And I think he's just going to keep maintaining that for sure. He's played in 15 of the 20 games, averaging 15.8 minutes per game. And that's also factoring in some of the low minute times where he was injured or where he was just getting garbage time. He's averaging eight points per game off the bench 1.7 assists, 0.7 steals. Uh, 1.9 rebounds. It's pretty good. Hard to like it's hard to quantify that from a bench roll, but per 36, he's at 18.2 points per game, 3.9 assists per game, 4.3 rebounds. Needs to get the three point percentage up, needs to get the two point percentage up. He's shooting 45% from two point range. That's one of the lowest marks on the team. Getting that up closer to 50 Is really important. Remember how I said Faku? He shot 44% last year and then is now shooting close to 52% this year. That's one of the ways to get better on the margins, just to make an extra shot here there. Bones has to be efficient. Uh, He's had some growing pains in that regard before he went out. Uh, Mostly took three uh, three point shots on this last game. So we will see what happens when a team forces him to drive. Consistently, and then finally Zeke Naji. Uh, he's only at ninety minutes for this year, and I would definitely be concerned about whether he's actually in the rotation, whether he's just kind of a stand-in. Uh, but what I will say is that he's improved as a rebounder when he's not matched up against a hulking mass of a human like Dwayne Deadman. Uh, if he's playing at the four then he's going to get boards. If he's playing at the five, it's going to be a struggle and other players are going to have to help him out. And that's going to be one of the big factors for this team is that they're going to have to find ways to play Zeke Naji and play him consistently because they can't overload Gordon, Green, and Jokic in the starting unit. Those guys played a bunch of minutes and they're going to continue to do so. But in order to keep those minutes down, you're going to have to trust your bench at some point. You're going to have to figure that out. Jermichael Green's averaging 15 minutes a night. He's been bad. He's been really, really bad. Zeke has been better. has been much better. I think it's a little bit overrated how much better he has been. Because the shots are just going in for him. But sometimes that alleviates all sins he is shooting 40% from two-point range so far this year. Doesn't have a lot of attempts. Uh, He has been pretty soft around the rim on the roll when he's matched up against bigger guys. When he's against smaller guys, he's more laying the ball in as opposed to dunking it, as opposed to really getting around and powering it up. So I am curious to see how that kind of plays out going forward. But I do like that he's playing more. I think he's a good player. I really do. And I want to see what he does with this Nuggets group uh, because I think he's a Jokic player. I think he's a player who can kind of reprise some of the stuff that Porter leaves behind. And as long as he's playing, as long as he's being consistent, then he's going to get minutes because he plays hard defensively. He executes defensively pretty well just has to execute all the way through the play, grab those defensive rebounds. Let's take another break. When we come back, we are going to discuss uh, what concerns me about this current team. But first, football fans, I'm sure you all love an action-packed, high-scoring football game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, You'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1, one single dollar on, an, on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So make sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score. With promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back A Pickaxe and Roll. Back at it. Pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's discuss now what is concerning about this group, because I do think that there are uh, good positive points, and we're coming off of a high note uh, based off of that Miami Heat game where Denver just looked like the far better team. They looked like a team that was more put together, and though they had Nikola Jokic and Miami did not have Jimmy Butler, I don't think the outcome would have changed does really seem that Denver does have Miami's number, that they just play better against that kind of team. But it's not just them. And Denver doesn't get to play Miami 82 games a night. They're going to have to find a way to go up against other teams and match up really well. And there are some factors that I do see that are going to be a little bit questionable. The first thing we have to talk about is Michael Porter Jr., and it's really sad. I did address this last night um, in the third segment, so just go ahead and listen to that if you're curious, Uh, but Michael Porter Jr.'s absence is going to be felt, uh, maybe not necessarily in the starting lineup during the regular season, because I do think that what Aaron Gordon and Jeff Green and Will Barton, Monte Morris, what they've been able to do around Nikola Jokic uh, stirring the straws drink, whatever that phrase is, Um, they are usually going to be okay with Nikola Jokic out there. Um, The bench is the concern. The bench is what I am more concerned about for sure, because Michael Porter would stagger with that group, and he would do really well on a lot of occasions and. You see that with this group right now that sometimes they just need somebody who's going to hit the outside shots with that bench unit. And whether it's Austin Rivers, whether it's Jermichael Green, whether it's Bones Highland some nights, whether it was Faku Campazo before he started shooting like wildfire, uh, the bench wasn't hitting shots. And that was really kind of ruining a lot of the good flow that they had. Michael Porter at his best would have solved that. And I don't see another shooter unless Zeke Naji continues to shoot 60% or even if it's 40 or 45, like that's pretty good, but he's one guy. Usually you want to have more than one great shooter on the floor. So hopefully Bones Highland stays efficient. Hopefully Faku Compazo stays efficient because if you have Faku and Bones and Zeke, then I think you can kind of work with that. There are lots of questions, especially when Jermichael Green does come back. But I do think that it's, it's good enough in a lot of cases. But there are going to be some nights where those three, faku Bones, and Zeke, are going to be bad, are going to shoot inefficiently. You're going to get four points from the three of them. And if you get four points from the three of them, maybe if you add in Austin Rivers, you're going to get eight points from the four of them you're going to be in trouble. You're going to need Will Barton to go Super Saiyan when he's rotating with that group. You're going to need Aaron Gordon to go uh, Hulk mode, where he's just physically dominant and doing everything that you need. And you're going to need Nikola Jokic to do what he does. And maybe that's the night where he has to have a big night. But if you have enough of those bad bench nights, that is going to be tough. So that is a concern of mine. I do think that Denver should be factoring that in when they're thinking about whether to add somebody at the trade deadline or close to it, because I think that this is a team in Denver where you might be better served adding somebody earlier. I remember when Utah added Jordan Clarkson. I don't think it was last year. I think it was the year before where they added him and it was like January. It was pretty early. In the NBA calendar, and he sort of figured it out, and the Jazz sort of figured it out with him, where they needed somebody who could take the pressure off of Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, and somebody who could just get buckets. And Jordan Clarkson did that, and then he won Sixth Man of the Year last year, and he's been great for them. That trade was made in January, as opposed to at the February trade deadline. And I do think that Denver could be in that situation too, because I don't know what is changing with this group until Jamal Murray comes back, and we will get to that, don't worry. But Michael Porter's absence, it's going to be felt, and there's no help walking through that door unless there is a move made. So we're going to have to see. Next is the 19th rating in three-point percentage. Denver's at I think thirty three point three percent on threes. It's not very good, it's subpar. It's about as close to eighteenth as it is to twenty sixth. So Denver is one bad game, and maybe maybe more than one, but a couple bad games away from going back to being a really bad shooting team. And though I think that they are trending up. I am still concerned about this group where if you have those bad shooting nights, then things feel a lot different. Things feel like a slog. They aren't creating as many open looks, and those open looks, when they do happen, aren't being converted on. I remember the the two best games from this team, the two big feel-good wins, are the Blazers game and this past Miami Heat game. And those just happened to be the two games that the team just bombed away from three. I think they shot like 19 of 40 against Miami or against Portland. And then, of course, they shot the lights out against Miami, too. So they need more games like that. They need to get into that better rhythm. And you can't force it. You can't just trade for shooter and then shooter is good. Uh, Then the team is good shooting. It doesn't, res- it doesn't necessarily work like that. The process has to be good. You have to build good habits. You have to form the best shots, and then you have to put your shooters into good positions to succeed. Denver's in the process of doing that, and I think they figured it out with the starting unit. Jeff Green seems to have figured it out. Aaron Gordon's shooting the ball really well. Will Barton, 4 of 6 from 3 last game. He's up over 40% again. Has just been great. But the rest of the bench... I am worried about them. As I said with the bad bench nights convo, Michael Porter would have solved some things. This is going to be something that I'm a little bit concerned about for sure. Next is Will Barton. Will Barton's kind of trending down a little bit. Not necessarily playing the best basketball of late, uh, and that's okay. He was having a really good year up through the Chicago game, where I thought he performed pretty well, was a plus four in a loss, uh, in a minus six loss, and shot the ball really well in that game, or three of eight from three. And in the last four games, even including a three of six night and a four of six night, he is shooting 31% from three. Because on the other two games against Phoenix and against Milwaukee, just couldn't find the rhythm. And the two-point percentage is going down as well, not necessarily finishing at the rim as best as he was. So I am at least interested. I'm, I'm curious as to what's going on there, as to how he continues to find those shots and whether he can stay in rhythm, whether he's somebody who is going to fight through it or if this is just going to be kind of a bad stretch for him is he going to shoot more? Is he going to shoot less? Is he going to be a little bit more picky and choosy in terms of the shots that he takes? Uh, Is he going to try to fire them up and get himself out of the slump because the team needs him? I think he could go either way. And so I'm very curious to see what his game flow is like. I have to imagine that it's probably going to be the latter just because he only took seven shots this past game. I don't know if the shots are necessarily going to be there all the time for him. With the way that Jeff Green's playing, the way that Nikola Jokic sort of controls the ball, he may not have a bunch of shots, and that's okay. Teams are going to be keying on him anyway, so hopefully he can continue to leverage that, and hopefully this is just kind of a downward uh, loop. And then he goes back up again, and that's okay. Another thing to think about. Jamal Murray, still about 20 games away, or not 20 games, 30 games at least, still at least two months away. I'm posting this podcast on December 1st, and that is, that means a lot because you're going to have the full month of December, you're going to have the full month of January, you're going to have about half of February, and then the All-Star break happens. And then the second half of February, and you think that Murray's probably going to play around the second half of February or so. That makes the most sense. Seems like he's going to be in a pretty good position where he will be back within a certain amount of time and get, get in some games where he can get into a rhythm, but it may not be early enough For Denver to have already kind of established what their identity is, and he won't be a part of that identity in all likelihood. They're going to have to work him into what they've already done and whether it sort of changes what the identity is or if he just kind of works in and blends what he does and works it out like that, then either way is going to be fine, but we're not going to see Jamal Murray for another 30 games or so. Think of it this way. We just played game 20. Game 21 is on December 1st. Game 51, so 30 games from now, is on February 1st. So it's going to be another 30 games, at least. And then it could be another 40 games, depending on when he decides that he wants to come back. I am very interested. I'm very curious. I want to know what the plan is, but I also know that Denver shouldn't be rushing him. I hope that he doesn't feel rushed. I hope that he doesn't see that he's going to miss about 60 games and then is panicking to come back a little bit too soon. He shouldn't have to be a savior, which means that Denver does need to find that identity without him. And Whether that's just rely on Jokic for everything, or if it's Gordon is going to lock people down defensively, and then you're going to rely on Jokic for everything, then that could be what happens. I'm not 100% sure that that's going to happen. I, I can only give you my suspicions kind of two, three months out, but we're going to see. We are going to see. couple more here. The loss of P.J. Dozier, it is going to be felt against the big wings. And Aaron Gordon you're thinking okay Aaron Gordon's our guy Aaron Gordon's the one who usually takes control of situations like that. What are you talking about Ryan? Why is he going to be why is he going to be so stressed out about big wings? Well because if Aaron Gordon is your only guy and Aaron Gordon has a bad defensive game or if the opposing team gets Aaron Gordon into foul trouble then what is your second option? What is your next plan of attack? If Aaron Gordon is not out there, in a game where Jimmy Butler didn't play, Aaron Gordon was out there for 38 minutes this last game. That is a lot of time. And one of the reasons for that is Jamichael Green's out. Uh, Nikola Jokic was not on the floor when Aaron Gordon came back in. Zeke Naji had been struggling, so they decided to go with Aaron Gordon and Jeff Green at the five to start the fourth quarter, and I get why. I understand why they did it, but they are going to have to rely on somebody else. and I think it's got to be Zeke Najee. I think he's the guy that they have to turn to, which is crazy to say because he's also going to be five. It's also going to be a very large focal point of the bench, but you need it to come from somebody. You need somebody to step up and be a stopper. It's gotta be somebody off the bench, and I don't think it's gonna be Faku. I don't think it's gonna be Bones. And I really don't think it's gonna be Austin Rivers. Been pretty disappointed in his defense so far. I don't think he does enough to justify, hey, you you have this matchup against this 6'6 to 6'10 guy, and you have to stop this player. You saw that against Zach Levine, where Austin Rivers had nothing for Zach Levine. That's okay, but when you face these great teams, they're going to have multiple good options, and somebody will be on one of those guys, and Aaron Gordon will be on the top option most of the time, like he was on DeMar DeRozan, but that means somebody has to be on Zach Levine if you're playing Chicago. It means if Aaron Gordon is on Jimmy Butler, they're going to need somebody to be on Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson. Can Will Barton do that? Can uh, P.J. Dozier was supposed to be the guy? Can Zeke Naji do that? Can Jeff Green do that? I don't know. I don't know what Denver's answer is going to be. It feels more like a playoff answer than a uh, regular season answer for most nights. But Denver's going to have to start winning these games on the margins if they want to win big. And a lot of pressure is going to be on Zeke Naji. A lot of pressure is going to be on Jermichael Green when he comes back. He's not going to be looked upon as a stopper, but he has got to perform. Denver needs it. Denver needs him to be better. And they need him to play, if only to kind of soak up some minutes. So I'm very curious. We will have to see what happens. But for now, let's take a final break. When we come back, we are going to talk about what I expect over the course of this next quarter mark. We'll be right back. segment pickaxe and roll thank you so much for tuning in if you could it would be awesome if you could rate review and subscribe i want to check on my uh my stuff right now my my reviews on itunes because that's where i get to check them that's where i get to see them and they're usually pretty good and usually people are pretty happy And i like to make people happy with this podcast i i was reached out to by a couple people over this course of this past day they said they're pretty happy with it so uh, I love to see the the reaching out. I love to see the ratings and reviews. Those really help me. Uh, so if you can, if you could spare a moment of your time, that'd be great. All right. What to expect over the course of this next quarter, Mark, we're reaching the second quarter of the NBA's regular season. Here's what we know. Jamal Murray is not going to be back for this. I I would be... Flabbergasted if he was. I still believe that the timetable starts in February first, and then then you can be on Jamal Murray watch after that. That means not for the next quarter mark, not into not until the third quarter of the NBA season. After game fifty or so. Michael Porter? Probably not gonna be back. I would be shocked if he was back after surgery. That's just not feasible. It's not going to happen. They want to give him time to recover. And these next 21 games kind of take up about the next six weeks of the season or so. Let me check to just see if that's accurate. Game 41 happens on January 11th. So yeah, I think that's about six weeks. That sounds like close to mid-January. That's about right. Jermichael Green, excuse me, should be back shortly but he hasn't played well up to this point. Denver has needed Zeke Nagy to step up. They're going to need Vlatko Chanchar to step up. It would be nice if they had Bo Bol who could step up, but I don't think that that is an option. I don't think that Marcus Howard, Peter Corneli, or Bol, Bol are really options for significant minutes. Despite the fact that Marcus Howard showed some stuff last year, I think it says a lot that Michael Malone is still more willing to go with Faku Campazo on a standard night and Bones Highland on a standard night than he generally is with Marcus because the size issues with Faku are still there with Marcus and he is so irregular as a shooter and as a scorer that you might have a good night, you might have a bad night, but you don't know what you're counting on. Same thing goes for Bull Bull. Same thing goes for Peter Corneliba for different reasons. You just don't know with him. You have no idea. So they have to count on what they know. And what they know is that Zeke Nagy is going to be pretty solid. They know that Jermichael Green, if he's shooting straight, is going to be pretty solid. And they know that Nikola Jokic, Aaron Gordon, and Jeff Green are going to be the main minute guys anyway. So you don't need to play a bunch of minutes from your backups. It would just be nice if they could play more minutes because you don't want to overload your starting unit. Let's take a look at the schedule over the next 21 games. I'm going to read these out, and if you get bored, I'm sorry, but I want to give people the, the full picture here. Over the course of the next 21, this takes Denver right up to the halfway mark. Today's December 1st. They, they are When you listen to this, it'll be December 1st. They're at Orlando. Then they're at New York, at Chicago, at New Orleans, at San Antonio on a back-to-back, At San Antonio again, they come home to play the Washington Wizards, Wes Unseld. They play the Minnesota Timberwolves, Chris Finch. Very interesting homestand there with two former lead assistants. They play and they go back on the road at Atlanta, at Brooklyn, at Oklahoma City. They come back on a back-to-back after Oklahoma City and they play Charlotte. Then they go back on the road and play the Clippers. They play at Golden State. They come back and play Golden State at home, and that's just December. Then they get into January, play another six games within this stretch at Houston, at Dallas, home against Utah, home against Sacramento, at Oklahoma City, at the Clippers. Okay. Let me kind of boil that down by the numbers here. You have six home games, compared to 15 road games. This is a very road-heavy portion of this regular season. The fact that they only have six home games, I'm only going to get to go to six games if I want to. That's crazy. Usually in this stretch, it's about 10 to 12. But they're only going to get six. They're going to play 15 on the road. They only play two back-to-backs. That is a blessing for this schedule that they aren't going to have those unwinnable games. The two back-to-backs that they do play, at New Orleans and then at San Antonio on a back-to-back, then they go from at Oklahoma City to back home in the Mile High City to play Charlotte on a back-to-back. So at San Antonio, home against Charlotte, those are not unwinnable. Those are definitely winnable based off the matchup. Can't wait to see... uh, old friend of the program, Mason Plumley. See what he has in, in store for Nikola Jokic. That should be very interesting. Uh, but Denver matches up against those teams pretty well. I think they match up better against San Antonio without Michael Porter. I think that that's actually something to think about here. Then we're just going to have to see. They have 13 games against teams that are plus 500. 13 games is a lot. Uh, Out of 21, it's a pretty tough stretch. On top of being road heavy, it's pretty tough. But a lot of those games are against teams that are one game over 500, two games over 500, maybe three. It's not like the strongest in terms of, oh man, you're playing unlimited games against Golden State, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Utah, etc. They are going to play those games. think they have four games combined against Brooklyn, Golden State, and Utah, but they don't play Phoenix in the stretch. They've already played them twice. Uh, And they don't play Milwaukee again. So they should be okay for a little bit. And they already match up against Utah, so they should be okay. You don't need to win all 13 of those games against the plus 500 teams. If you get half of them, if you get six wins, six and seven, if you get seven wins, seven and six, that's pretty good. That's that's okay. But here's the kicker. You get to play eight games against teams that are outside the top six in the Western Conference. Eight games. Those games are, let me just kind of go over this real quick, at Orlando today. You need this game. At New Orleans. Or actually, I'm I'm sorry. These are the non-top six games in the West. You've got at New Orleans, at San Antonio, at San Antonio, Minnesota, at Oklahoma City, at Houston, Sacramento, and at Oklahoma City again. You can go seven and one in those eight games. You can. It's going to be tough. You're going to have to focus up. Those teams are going to try to take advantage of you while you're injured. But if you show up and Nikola Jokic shows up and he kind of demonstrates that he is the best player in the game, then you're still going to be okay. You're still going to figure it out. The moment he has weakness or the moment the bench just collapses or if Barton goes 0 of 12 or something like that, that kind of opens the door too. But for the most part, if Denver goes about those games in the right way, wins the games that matter, then you're going to be fine. Because if you win those games, and then if you win the games against the teams that are plus 500, or at least like half of them, then you're up to about 14 wins out of 21. 14 and 7 would be really good. And here's the thing. Some of the podcasts in Denver are more worried about seeding than others. I am one of those. I worry about record. I think that it's important. I think that it stands out for Denver specifically because I want to see them have an easy first round matchup. I don't want Jamal Murray to have to be a savior. I don't want him to have to go Super Saiyan like he was in the bubble and have to do so much that he just kind of loses a portion of himself coming off of an ACL tear. Like, What are we doing here? I want to see him play the Blazers or the Clippers, or the T-Wolves, or somebody like that. If the Clippers don't have Kawhi, then they're a different tier of team than a team like the Lakers, or the Mavericks, or the Jazz. You hope that you can avoid the Suns and the Warriors. You definitely need to be outside of the play-in tournament. You need to be in the top six, because I think it's pretty clear the Warriors are going to be the one, or the Suns are going to be the one, and then the other is going to be the two. So you stay out of the top, you stay out of the plan, get a top six seed. Then you have an outside chance to play a team like the Blazers or the Clippers or the T-Wolves if the Lakers, Mavericks, or Jazz were to struggle. I don't think they're gonna play any other of those teams, but you can see the Lakers falling. You can see the Lakers falling to the play in for sure. For the the Blazers go on a run or something like that? Sure. Get the matchup with the Blazers again? Absolutely. I think that sounds wonderful. If Denver is 20 and 21 after 41 games, or 21 and 20, about 500, I think that'll be a slightly disappointing outcome. 10 and 11 over the course of the next 21, maybe 9 and 12, maybe 11 and 10. I think you can do better than that. I really do that, as long as Jokic is playing. Here's the thing remove the four losses. When Jokic wasn't playing, in the games that he was, Denver, they're ten and six. Actually, if you remove the uh, the Indiana game as well, they're nine and six. So if they're winning nine out of fifteen games every time, they're about sixty percent win rate. So that means about twelve and eight. If they go. Let's call it 13 and 8 over the course of the next 21. Then Denver's at 23 and 18 at the course of that part of the season, and that's pretty fair. That sounds, that sounds pretty good. That's that's par for the course in my opinion. The home road split is a little bit crazy, but as long as Jokic is playing, you feel pretty good. If you want to get real crazy, if they go fifteen and six over the course of the next twenty one, then the record is twenty five and sixteen. That's a great place to be. If you get a little bit of distance, you separate yourself from some of the bubble teams. Not bubble teams, the uh, the play-in teams, excuse me. At least you get get a little bit of breathing room. And then the schedule is going to even out. It's going to get a lot easier in those subsequent months. You're going to get more games against Houston, against uh, New Orleans, Although they're going to get back Zion at some point, you're going to get the teams against uh, the games against the bad East teams. You're going to get more bad West teams. You're going to play less against the top teams in the Western Conference. Although you are going to play the Lakers, and that should be pretty interesting too. But I do think that Denver—they're not going to seriously consider trades. They're not going to seriously consider altering the team until after they've reached the midway point. They're a team that wants to know who they are, and they will know who they are after this stretch. We've got some really tough games. We've got a pretty tough split between home and road games. We've got a lot of games against teams that are above 500. You're going to have to play hard. But if you come out of it on the other side, you feel pretty good, then you'll know who you are. You'll also know what you need outside of Jamal Murray. Because if you play really well, and but the one thing that you could really see is, hey, we need a six-foot-eight wing slash forward that can shoot 40%, that can come off the bench and play decent defense, then you can go get that guy. As long as you're willing to pay it. As long as you're willing to pay the price, you should be okay. If you need a seven-footer, you want to get that a little bit earlier. You want to get somebody who can give you a lot of regular season impact which means you got to start scouring the market a little bit earlier than normal. But I do think that at that point, after kind of the midway point of the season, it's late enough that other teams, they'll be more willing to converse than they would be otherwise. I do think that Denver is one of those teams that they need to know who they are before making changes. But once they know who they are, they are willing to trade. They're willing to trade. They're willing to change. We'll just have to see where they are at that point. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it. was a little bit all over the place this episode, but this team's all over the place. They're 10-10. and 10. They look great with Jokic. They look bad without Jokic. You, you totally understand it, but you need a little bit of stability. I hope that they get it over the course of this time. It's a tough time to get it. Usually you want to get it on a big homestand, You're gonna have to wait for that big homestand. It's gonna come. It's gonna come in January. It's not coming in December. Thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you guys tonight.